Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're talking to Victoria Pickles. She's Deputy Chief Executive and Director of Corporate Affairs of the Airedale NHS Foundation Trust. It's an NHS trust that's really challenging itself around the role that it plays on levelling up. And of course, we all know how health and well-being and access to opportunity absolutely go hand in hand. Victoria, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. But I guess the first question is, tell for people listening a little bit about what Airedale covers as a trust, you know, the kinds of people you're providing healthcare for across your bit of the country. Okay, so Airedale is um, a district general hospital. I think that's how you describe us. Um, And we provide acute hospital services and community services to a geography of 700 square miles, which reaches from the edges of Bradford out into the Yorkshire Dales. Um, And that covers a population of about 200,000 people, um, which are both a mix of um, urban and uh, very rural um, populations. So we've got places like Keithley, Ilkley, Otley, Skipton, all within our geography, as well as sort of the Yorkshire Dales villages, uh, Grassington, Bentham, those kind of areas. And we we reach over the border into Lancashire as well. So into places like Colne um, and on the edges of Burnley and Blackburn. Um, so we have a really wide and very varied geography that, we, uh, that we're responsible for. Um, and the, in terms of the population, so in such a wide geography, you'd very much expect that to be very mixed in terms of our population. So mix of background and ages. So some of the areas have got some of the youngest populations in the country, um, as well as a significantly aging population in certain parts of our district. And we've also got a massive um, diversity in terms of affluence and deprivation. Mm -hmm. So there's areas of Keithley, for instance, that are in, you know, the the 20% most deprived in the index of deprivation and then you've got some areas like um, Ilkley who are way up there in in the least deprived Um, so we've got an absolute mix in terms of um, backgrounds, ages, um, ethnicity so we do have um, we've got people from um, a black minority ethnic population and um, Eastern European migrants to this country um so it's a really really diverse um community that we are looking after i think it's absolutely incredible because you know it is it's remarkably diverse isn't it when you when you really look at it in those terms and there's the rural and urban aspect as well so i guess it provides a fair amount of challenges because you're really having to stretch across a, a massively complex patient population. But do you see, do you see that, if you like, gap between the most privileged people living in those communities and the least? Do you see that flow through in terms of health outcomes and, and in a sense, who you're delivering that healthcare for, presumably? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and they can they can vary as well in terms of um 
so if you think about accessibility, so some of our more affluent areas are very remote from the mm -hmm. hospital and the services we provide. And, um, and so you need to think about access, you know, the, the journey by road to the far reaches of our, um, our geography can be an hour. I mean, you think about that in terms of ambulance transfer times and um, and people coming by their by car. You know, in the days it's outpatient we, stuff. Yeah, so it, you know, in the days when we we're delivering face to face outpatients, people might drive for an hour and then mm. sit in a waiting room for an hour and then have mm. a ten minute appointment. Mm. You know, and um, and so we've we've got to be um, cognizant of that. But we also need to be cognizant that there are some some communities who, um, for whatever reason, and it will be multiple reasons, find accessing healthcare difficult. And um, there was an article in the Health Service Journal, I think just last week, um, looking at waiting lists and whether there are unintentional consequences on various populations of waiting lists because of of their reluctance or how um, proactive they are in accessing healthcare and how long they leave it before they may try to get an appointment and then how many multiple levels of appointments are required before they actually get into a theatre for a procedure. And it's, it's really interesting, but it is something we need to be very cognizant of. I certainly remember one of the opportunities that I got established when I was Secretary State for Education was in Bradford. In fact, quite a few of them were in Yorkshire. Um, but one was in Bradford. And one of the things it did that was really innovative was it got together with the local NHS and really started to look at the evidence on literacy. And out of that came this Glasses for Classes initiative, because they simply found that some children parents were less likely to get to opticians and less likely to keep glasses prescriptions up to date and fundamentally that was one of the problems that was holding children back from being able to to learn as well they just couldn't see and to read necessarily and I just think it's such a good example of how the health agenda that you've just talked about and then access to opportunity end up coming together don't they Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, when they talk about the diabetes missing millions as well. Mm -hmm. So there are people out there in communities who are living with um, conditions and, um, you know, health problems, be they physical or mental health problems, and who are just living with them until such point as they exacerbate to the point that they then need either urgent or emergency treatment. And it's only then that will sometimes uncover multiple morbidity, comorbidity mm -hmm. in, in somebody. So it's about kind of us um, being conscious of that, as well as those of our population who, who find access in terms of actual physical access more tricky. I mean, Airedale, we had, um, we had a getting it right first time visit around surgical services and we provide more surgical interventions to people over the age of 90 than pretty much any trust um, around us. And that's because we've got more people over the age of 90 who are fit enough to have surgery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but but that has other consequences because you then have to think about uh well how long will they need to be in hospital and what arrangements yeah. are in place for when they get home and if they are living more remotely how do we overcome some of that with our our social and home care colleagues as well and obviously it's fantastic having airedale part of this leveling up goals work tell us a little bit about what levelling up means for you and, and for your bit of the NHS? So I think, you know, Airdale is um, probably the biggest employer in this part of the world. And I, definitely the biggest employer in part of this world. Um, but we are also one of the biggest procurers of services and goods. Mm -hmm. And so we have a real responsibility, not only on health and well-being. So levelling up, obviously, is about how do we get that access to health and well-being services um, mm -hmm. more equitable? But also, how do we contribute to the economic um, success of this area? Um, you know, I mentioned that Keithley is in one of the most income deprived parts of, of the country nationally. And therefore, what is our responsibility and role in, in helping to address that? Um, both by employing people locally, we did some work actually recently to look at our, our workforce and, mm -hmm. and where they live. And the vast majority of our workforce up to probably a band 8b which is about 60,000 a year in terms of salary um, live within less than half an hour's drive from the hospital or half an hour's travel from the hospital so we are definitely a local employer mm -hmm. um, and so how how do we how do we absolutely use that to its advantage in terms of employing local people but also attracting others to this part of the world who will then contribute to the local economy. I think it's really interesting how broadly you see levelling up. I think that's right, by the way, as well, um, because there's the different aspects of what you're doing. Firstly, there is what you do as an organisation and how important it is to levelling up, which is health and wellbeing. And, and as you talked a little bit about earlier, that preventative agenda yeah. Um, of helping keep people, you know, as you say, I think in your strategy, healthy, happy um, times. And so there's all of that, which of course is, is the bread and butter of the NHS. But alongside that, it's just easy to forget that you are a massive employer and how you procure can yeah. have a benefit for levelling up if, if you choose to make that happen. And how you recruit can also have a, a massive impact on levelling up. And I think I it'd be interesting to get your perspective on how as you do more integrated care do you feel like that starts to give us more of a chance to deal with the whole person but but perhaps the careers that you've also got to offer as an organization can be part of that yeah absolutely so you know we are a we're a cute and community provider which gives us lots of benefits in terms of um how how we sort of look after the patient both in and out of the hospital. Um, and, and, when you, and when you do that, you don't just, you know, I've spent time with our community teams um, 
and they're actually just taking part in a new BBC programme as well, um, which will be following them around. But one of the things that they do is they see the whole family and the domestic environment yeah. and yeah. contribute to that as well. So it isn't just looking after the health of the patient, mm -hmm. but they also have conversations with the wider household and the, the people who come into that household and look at the environment in which that patient is living and um, and try to get intervention at that point as well. Now they're not always able to make massive differences, but sometimes they really do. And, and I think it's about thinking about that responsibility. Then in terms of, of an employer, I think people, and you know, we're all a bit guilty of this, look at a hospital and think, oh, well, that's all about doctors or nurses roles. Actually, we have a huge variety of careers that are here, um, from electricians to, um, you know, um, scientists to um, cleaners to um, drivers to IT specialists. You know, there is a, there are a vast number of um, jobs and careers available in your local hospital. And we've been doing some work with, um, as part of our charity, which is very active, um, with some with local primary schools actually to look at um, what jobs and roles are available mm -hmm. in the health service that you might not necessarily think of. So we're doing a bit of a kind of a what's my line type assembly thing mm -hmm. with okay. local primary schools and say this person works in a hospital, but what is it you think that they do? <laughs> but they love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's just and again, that, that kind of leads into the other leveling up goal, which is around education and opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to think about how how do we contribute to that? Because if the vast majority of our staff live in the local area. We need mm -hmm. to be growing that workforce for the future. It's yeah. our responsibility to do that. And also recognising, as you do, that even at a very young age, talking to young, very young children about opportunities and what they might want to do with their lives is really stimulating for them. And actually, it can trigger off a real interest that then ends up becoming something people build a career around. Absolutely. You know, and the NHS is like the, the country's biggest employer, but the world's smallest family. So, you know, wow. you, you, it's amazing how you you bump into people who you've worked with in previous years who are still in the NHS, but in somewhere else. So there are massive opportunities once you are part of a, an NHS organisation. But I have to say, um, since, since I joined Airdale, I have... Um, I have been party to more 40 year long service awards <laughs> in this organization than in any previous organization I've come across. So people come and they stay. That's well, it's all it's probably a great organization, but a beautiful part of the country, as I know. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And we, we are seen as the Dales Hospital, mm -hmm. uh, which is lovely, but. Um, that does belie the fact that we do have parts of our district which are not quite as um, green and rural. Yeah, of course. And so diversity and inclusion really matter within the yeah, trust. Absolutely. And that's become 
I think a greater preoccupation for the NHS, A, because it matters and diverse organisations do better, but I suppose the other imperative is you need to genuinely be representative of the community that you're providing healthcare for. So what are some of the things that Airedale's doing and thinking of doing, looking at to try and make sure that it really isn't an, an NH, a bit of the NHS where you can join as a very you know diverse organization but then kind of not just get in and get on yeah so um and we are really conscious of it and i think we there was um, a survey last year where we did quite well in terms of um staff reporting that there are um progression opportunities for people from a diverse background within this organization but that's not to say there isn't a lot more that we need to be doing um, we have we have things like we have a reciprocal mentoring program, mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely illuminating. So I have a, a, a reciprocal mentor who is um, a specialty doctor. So um, I won't get into the complexities of doctor career streams, but um, basically isn't taking the formal consultant role and has chosen. Mm -hmm do a different route mm -hmm. and um, it's absolutely enlightening to me some of the advantages and definite barriers that she has experienced in her mm -hmm. career not not only within Airedale but but things like being able to progress in the consultant um, pipeline for instance requires you to go work in a deanery of a different geography and if if you're married young like she was and have children mm -hmm. then that that is a barrier to you to be able to progress then potentially yeah. um but we've got reciprocal mentors um with board members who are from all levels and all background all um, career backgrounds or job backgrounds within the hospital so that's one of the things that we're doing we had a patient story at our board meeting yesterday mm -hmm. which was from a, a member of the um uh, Asian community in Keithley about the way in which we had um, handled him and his family during the pandemic when his mum sadly passed away mm -hmm. and and all all the things that we we needed to do and actually we've done that very well it was a very positive patient story which yeah. could very easily have not gone that way and about the things that we need to consider and, and we've done that and then we'll that will be shared within that community that story will be shared within that community about Airedale and what it does and how it treats and looks after people from different backgrounds. Um, we have um, we have a, a diverse network group um, who support colleagues from different backgrounds within the trust. Mm -hmm. um, and we have been working with the local college on career pathways into the trust as well from people from diverse backgrounds. Um, that's just a little snapshot of some of the things we've been doing. There is a lot more, um, but there is more that we can be doing and we need to do. And I think I'm right in saying that you've actually got a lot of volunteering as well from yeah, the wider public. Yeah, and that's quite you know interesting. And do you find that that in itself also can be a route by which some people end up getting permanent jobs they they do volunteering they get to understand the organization and actually end up thinking actually I could I quite yeah. like like the idea of working here yeah I think I think it works both ways to be honest Justin I think 
I think people come and volunteer and then think, oh, that looks a really nice place to work. I'll, I'll see what opportunities there are. Um, and uh, and also we have people who, who can't quite leave the trust when they finish working and they stay on as volunteers. So it works at both ends of people's kind of career life with us as well. Um, but yeah, we have around 700, you know, we have a lot of people who, who support the trust and um, I've been very grateful for them over the last 12 months because I've been running the vaccination service here and without the volunteers, I'm not sure how we would have quite managed. Do you, do you think during the COVID pandemic, it's actually triggered more people to get involved and volunteer and that that might have a, a legacy for you that you really can draw on as we come out of COVID? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, obviously, during the very early stages of the pandemic, we couldn't have volunteers on site. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as soon as we were able to, they were all incredibly keen to come back in. And we did get overwhelmed with offers of support. Mm. Um, so, yes, hopefully that will. I mean, one of one of our deals ambitions is to be what we, what's called an anchor institution. Mm -hmm. and um we uh, that's written into our strategy is absolutely what we believe we are here to do which is support the interests of our local communities and that is it is absolutely more than just looking after their health and well-being it, it see, is about more than that you see this is what i think is absolutely crucial is that sense that i think is completely correct which is you are an anchor institution and you know as we all know I mean I've been in politics and spent time as a minister but what's interesting is that chopping and changing in the political system does sometimes make it hard frustratingly so to put things in place that can last but actually for an organization like yours you are there for the long term so you can actually have this long-term anchor institution mindset that I think really, really drives people to think, well, we can be a leader in that case. And, and what does that look like for you? Which is something I really welcome. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it is really important to us. Um, Recognising all those things that I've talked about, you know, we cover a, a big geography of a diverse population, but we are the biggest employer. We are one of the biggest procurers of services. And we do have... a a policy that we will aim to buy as much as we can from mm -hmm. as local as we can through all of our procurements um, and that that is again about supporting the local economy as far as we possibly can it's not always possible just yeah. I mean, you'll know you'll know you know procurement policies do do sometimes put some limitations around that but as much as we as we can that is our aim and ambition um, and, um, and during the pandemic, we were overwhelmed with support from the public. So people brought us gifts and food and chocolate and, uh, you know, offered hot meals and everything. But we were really conscious that actually, yes, our staff were working in incredibly challenging circumstances um, and we were putting their hearts and souls into looking after patients in a very uncertain world. But also, we were all still being paid, and in some of our communities around us, they were facing much more challenging economic circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, as well as us receiving gifts, we did also try and give back to our local community as well, supporting right. food banks, 
diverting some of the things that we yeah. were given um, because we felt that that was important. We absolutely recognised and loved the warmth and love that came to Airedale, um, but, but we, we knew that we were in some ways in a fortunate position um, and we needed to spread that love during what were very difficult times. Well, I think it's I think it's really an important step, and and I think it's exciting to 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 start to work out what that means on levelling up um, going forward for the, for the uh, foundation trust. Now, Victoria, for the last bit of the podcast, I wanted to to ask you about your own journey okay. um, in this amazing amazing organisation that the NHS is. So, tell us about your own career. Where did you where did you start, as it were? So I, I, um, I started as a cleaner in the NHS and um, I, that was my first job and I absolutely loved it. And um, it made me determined that the NHS was where I wanted to have my career going forward. And so I, but I, I started in financial services actually doing comms after, after I did my cleaning. Mm -hmm. and, um, and hang, then, on, hang on, hang on. This is interesting. So you, you're starting doing cleaning. Yeah. Um, and at some point you're thinking, I think I need a change or I'm going to do something different. And so, so what happened? You see a job going in comms and you think I might have a go at that. Or yeah. how did that, how did that work? Um, well, so where I live, there's a, there's a, a national children's museum. Mm -hmm. And um, I started working in their work, facilitating events with children. And then there became a role in the communications function. And somebody said, do you fancy going and working up there for a bit? And I did, and I loved it. And so then I got a, a proper job because um, mm -hmm. that was just, you know, that was playing really in the children's museum. Um, <laughs> uh, it was fabulous. But um, so then I got a proper job in comms right. and um, did financial services comms, which Although it was fabulous and I got to do some great things, I ran corporate hospitality and events and it was great, but ICES and mortgages didn't really float my boat on a, on a long-term basis. And I was, I was really keen to get back into the NHS. Yeah. And, um, and a, a job came up and um, it was for, for a comms manager with some other bits and the quite a small organization and they said well we're willing to give you a go at the other bits if you join us but you'll have to prove yourself and all that and so that's what I did I joined as a comms manager in a primary care trust mm -hmm. and then got given more things to do so complaints handling and emergency planning yeah. and um, governance and that's then how I've grown my career yeah. so I've I've then done that in various environments in a community trust and in a couple of hospital trusts and uh, I love it it's it's in my blood you know the NHS does get in your blood um and uh it you know everybody understands it even if they don't understand what my job title does they understand the organization I work for and what's what's amazing is as you is your own journey shows you don't have to be a healthcare professional absolutely not um it's such a massive organization that there are so many different routes and careers in it um yeah. it, it's it's incredible and, and if you were looking back to 
younger Victoria and giving some advice to that younger Victorian, knowing what you know now, um, what do you think on careers and stuff, what do you think you'd say? Don't worry too much about it. Find something that you're good at and Mm -hmm. that you enjoy doing Mm -hmm. and um, do it to the very best of your ability and take every opportunity that comes your way. And if Mm -hmm. you um, just be transparent. So if you think you might be able to do something, but you're going to need some support to do it, then say so. And don't mm-hmm. be frightened of, of having a go. As long as you are honest and um, declare where you're having problems or your limitations, then it's fine, actually. And nobody is the absolute perfect polished model in any role that they're in. We are all just doing the absolute very best that we can. I think that's brilliant advice and I think it matters because what it reflects is the fact that anytime we go into a new role we're developing yeah and so almost you're bound not to be (laughs) the perfect version in the role when you first start it you know it's normal to go into a role and have to learn a lot of new things that's often why you're doing it so I guess your point is don't not do a role because of that. That's probably no, why you no. should do a role, but just be really clear with people which bits you're going to have to do some work on and where you are going to learn. Yeah, it's, it's every day is a lesson, isn't it? Every day is kind of an opportunity to learn something and try out something. And um, yeah, and you should you should just do it. Absolutely fantastic. Well, look, Victoria, it's been brilliant having you on the podcast. It's, it's fantastic having... Airedale NHS Foundation Trust is part of all of our work on the levelling up goals. Um, looking forward to, to doing all of that work that's ahead of us. And in the meantime, it's just been a brilliant podcast to hear about what's happening on the ground in the area that you serve, but also, yeah, your own career path, um, which I think underlines for anyone listening this, that people sometimes don't have a career path ahead of them that's obvious but actually they end up having one that's absolutely brilliant and you're an example of that Victoria thanks very much for coming on the podcast it's been great yeah thank you